You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. <laughs> How are you, boys? <laughs> oh, loving life. Just having a cup of tea, it's very nice. <clears throat> Just had a mince pie with some cream. How's your back, Mark? Uh, yeah, you know, it's still there. How's yours? Good. Uh, it's still there. Oh, this is making uh, me cracking listening. It is and later. <laughs> later in this episode of the Orthodontology Podcast... <laughs> Uh, We're back and it's about time. I probably should explain to the listener that I have made us start recording before we've even said hello. Well, you know, we can we can roll with the punches. We can. Hey, I thought it would make for a fun beginning to a Christmas party podcast. You just like putting us on the spot, don't you? Oh, speaking of which, Mark, sixty seconds on the claws of Axos. Well, of course, it features my favourite Doctor, John Pertwee, um, and. Um, I thought the monsters weren't too bad. Um, you had the slightly poncy um, lycra outfits, which eh, I suppose were convincingly alien. And then you had the sort of spaghetti on legs thing wandering about, which was quite good. Um, is this and the, the poncy pi- ones are going to be a toy in just a few weeks' time. Ooh. Uh, is this the one with Pigbin Josh? It is, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, you know. Or should I say, oh, ah. <laughs> well, with you being a farmer and everything, you would be up on uh, all of the uh, more yokel elements of Doctor Who history. That is indeed true. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Pigbin Josh, probably the standout character from Pertwee's era. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you enjoy the story? Um, It's been Just a long time no. since I've seen it, but, um, yeah, well... What the heck? It's nearly Christmas. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. I suggested that The Claws of Axos was the perfect DVD release for uh, when the series first started back in 2005. Not the Time Monster. And you know what? No, this one. Time Monster's far more in tune with Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who. Mm. Claws of Axos has got soldiers. It's set in the modern day. It's got silly monsters and a high-concept storyline and it's got the unit family so it's got, it's got Bill that Fyler. Whole... yeah yeah it's got over the top americans oh my god like you had in dalek it's got everything i like the fact Don't they think... electrocute people with tendrils yes okay speaking of uh simon simon mm. or simon was speaking anyway <laughs> <laughs> uh 60 seconds on, oh, the greatest show in the galaxy. Oh, jeez. Um, have I put you on the spot there? Yeah, I've literally put me on the spot. I do, I just don't absorb the McCoys in the same way as I do all the other ones. Um, that sounds like a toilet paper. It had Jan DeMarco in it, which was a bit odd. It was, I quite liked him when he was on Get Fresh in the mornings. 
Um, and I remember there was a really good interview with Martin Digville from Zig Zig Sputnik by Jan DeMarco. I think that's how you say his name. Um, and anyone who doesn't know who Jan DeMarco is or Jan DeMarco, he was, was he called Brain Kid? Whiz Kid? I don't know. Whiz Kid. Whiz Kid. <clears throat> yeah, he was, and he got fried in the end anyway, didn't he? Um, I quite like the gods at the end of it. I quite like the design of those, but it did, mm-hmm. it was. But it did have that weird looking bloke from EastEnders who is the creepiest clown ever. Um, yeah, so I, I wondered met... how long it'd take you to get to the creepy clowns. You've got three seconds left. Three seconds. Um, I still don't like it after all these years. Oh, Jesus. What a disappointing, depressing <laughs> way to finish her on the spot. God almighty. You want me to be honest, don't you? I'm not going to blow smoke up its uh, misshapen backside, am I? Well, I... Yeah, okay, whatever. After last week, I think you ought to have. Oh, do you think? Why? What are they... Did you listen to last week's podcast? Oh, I should have. I should have. Was it... Oh, of course, Andrew. Oh, mm. blimey. Mm. Andrew oh, yeah, I've got a bone to pick with you as well. He's probably going to listen now, isn't he? <laughs> JR. I don't know. Go on. Uh, well, do you know what? I've got... Uh, can I just I say... Really I've got nothing that. against the story. But anyway, yes. Hang on. Sorry, what did you enjoy, Simon? I was saying I've got nothing against the story. I like the idea of the story. It's just I find the... Uh, production? The, the production difficult to, to take in. I need to be in a certain mood to enjoy it. And I haven't watched it okay. properly in a very long time, so... All right, Mark, bearing in mind that we are recording, mm. what's this bone you have to pick? Well, um, I really enjoyed the interview with Mr. Cartmel, and I have been coveting that special edition hardback of his book, and I've now gone and ordered it, so it's all your fault. Oh, that doesn't sound like much of a bone that you were picking with me there. Well, you know, times are hard. Okay. Money doesn't go so far these days. Oh, yeah, but you were going to get it anyway, surely. Well, you just tipped me over the edge, didn't you? Oh, well, I suppose that's what the podcast was for. You're an enabler. Uh, Yeah, I've enabled him to have an extra couple of quid in his pocket, and I've enabled you to have a nice book on your shelf that you wanted anyway. Everyone's a winner. Absolutely. Oh, I know you've got to do me a favour. Tonight you've got to count the number of times the way I say... Number of times I say the word absolutely during the course of the podcast. Okay. Good stuff. Well, yeah, That's right. I thought I'd just go, oh, go with no. one of the things you say. I oh, say yeah, that. but did you not notice how many times I said it during that, that well, podcast Well, the thing is, you're bound week. to be, unless you're like cool as cucumber, you're bound to be slightly in awe of someone who's been that sort of influential on Doctor Who in the past, surely. Oh, yeah, but it wasn't so much that. When you're interviewing somebody... And I kind of wanted it to be somewhere in between an interview and a conversation. And I think I was fairly successful in getting it to be that, but that's by the by. But when you're interviewing somebody, you have to sort of prod them by just letting them know that you're still listening Mm. and that they're sort of on the right lines and you want to carry on the conversation in that sort of area and so on and so forth. Mm. And you just kind of throw in a word every now and again, like fine or absolutely. And of course, when you're recording it for a podcast, <laughs> the listener gets to hear all that. When you're typing the interview up, mm, you miss out really all the absolutes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, he came across really well. I've never met him before, but uh, he was quite honest. And he admitted to some of the shortcomings that had happened under his watch. Some of those weren't really under his control, but you know, he took it on the chin. But he just came across as a really decent chap. Absolutely right. I was going to say, Joe, what, that was your overall... 
impression of the man, yes? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I only met him for about 30 seconds in London. Literally, we bumped... Because he was doing um, commentaries on the same floor as the press suite. And so we just literally passed each other in the corridor outside. And I knew he'd just been published by Matt, obviously. And obviously, I've also been published by Matt. So I just said to him, hey, do you want to come on the podcast and talk about it? You know, talk about, you know, the times that you're recounting in the book and just have a conversation about, you know, that period of your life. And he said, yeah, sure. Hmm. And so hmm. next thing you know, we're recording the podcast, you know, after about 30 seconds of conversation in a hall in London. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it goes sometimes. Well, but well, yes, ab absolutely lovely chap yeah. and a good sport for coming on and doing it as well. And I'm going to feel terrible when I finally listen to it. <laughs> oh yeah, but you know he didn't have to do it. He's he didn't know me from Adam. No, no. I'm just some random chap who cornered him in a corridor. Mm. So good on him for doing it. Yeah. Um, Mark Simon. Ooh, I don't know which one of you to ask first. Or should we? We've got four emails, four topics of discussion, and three questions. One for each of the three of us. So what should we do? A topic of discussion? Yeah, go on. Yeah, then. yeah. No, I'll tell you what. Let's do a let's do an email Actually, and then do I'll a change topic. Your mind. Of... Can we do an email? Yeah, let's do an email. Um <laughs> oh no, actually it's only three oh no, it is four emails. Uh oh, shall I randomly pick one? We've got Ben from Indiana, Hello Poro, Doc Whom, and the Great Intelligence. What uh, do you think? I think we should have Ben from Indiana. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, I'm easy. Okay, Ben that. from... It's not what his wife says. Oh, yeah, you're a married man now. You shouldn't be doing I am, yes. <laughs> my first podcast as a married man. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, Simon, congratulations. I'm Mrs. Willett. Mm. Is that what you're called now? <laughs> yeah, this is it. Uh, our very own Rory. <laughs> yeah. No, it's our very own Tin Dog. That's a bit harsh. Oh, oh, you meant K9, sorry. I think he's somewhere in between the two. I didn't really say that. <laughs> ben in Indiana says, Hello, Blue Boxers. Hello. I've been <laughs> I've been noticing all of the online disappointment, if not flat-out anger, anger directed towards Christopher Eccleston for not appearing in the 50th anniversary special. I can't help but admit to feeling sad that he didn't show up, especially since we know he stopped by to chat with Moffat. The gossipy fan side of me would truly love to know the root cause of Eccleston's cold attitude to Doctor Who in general. Mm. That being said, it got me wondering, since I'm not British and was not a fan back in 1983, do you guys remember similar angry feelings directed towards Tom Baker for snubbing the 20th anniversary episode? Do you guys remember your personal feelings about mm. Tom not being there? And did that wax dummy in the press shots fool anyone? <laughs> Thanks uh, again, Ben in Indiana. Well, I mean, okay, there's an interesting point. Were people angry that Tom Baker didn't appear in the 20th anniversary special or just a bit sad? Yeah, just a bit, I don't think I was even old enough to, to be yeah. angry about it. I think um, I was 10 at I'd, the time, so I probably wouldn't have... I probably would have been a bit sad, a bit upset that he wasn't in it, but... Yeah, I think I probably thought I it was a bit silly... I think. The fact that he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Mm. I think I was sad rather than angry. Mm. I don't think I appreciated... I think I was about 15 
and I don't think I I don't think I had the wherewithal to appreciate that it was some kind of a snub. I just thought it was a bit sad that he wasn't in it, but accepted it and moved on. And I think also at the age I was, I'm not sure if I was totally up to speed on Sharda at that point. So as far as I saw it, he was in it, but only for just a very short bit. Uh, I think I knew what that was because uh, I was a regular reader of Doctor Who magazine by mm. then and had been for several years. And oh, I can't quite remember, but they, I'm sure the Galaxy Guardian were updating things. Oh, Tom Baker's not going to be in it, but they're going to use a bit from Sharda instead and all mm. this kind of stuff. So I kind of knew what was coming. But obviously at that age and at that time and pre-internet, you don't really get an impression of what, you know, the sort of wider community's feeling. Mm -hmm. So you can only really go on your own impression, can't yeah. you? Yeah, no forums back then, sadly. <clears throat> and also you had... um you had kind of an introduction to a, a doctor not being there through the three doctors. So I, I think I probably accepted it in a funny way mm, because yeah. of what had happened with William Hartnell. So yeah, that's a good and of point, course, what seemed, what seemed weirder was having Richard Herndall playing the first doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and of course he had quite a significant part in that. Mm, yeah. In All fact, right. he had a more significant part than Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee, really. I remember um, more things. I was going to say, I remember running into the local bookshop and buying the novel before it was shown on TV. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And loving the shiny cover and thinking it was all yeah. very exciting. Now, uh, we do have a subject for tonight's episode a Christmas party episode, which is kind of a year in review, I guess. I just thought we'd use this as an excuse to just kind of generally think back over the year and our personal favourite moments and, you know, the more important and significant things that have happened in the world of Doctor Who, you know, in advance of the Christmas special. So, uh, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of uh, singled out four significant things that happened during the year, really, mm. for us to chat about. So mm. should we do the first one now? Go on then. And the first one would be Series 7B, of course, in the spring. Hmm. Seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, not going through the stories one by one, because mm. we've done that already. But, I mean, did did either of you have like an overall impression of that sort of miniseries as a whole? I No, I didn't like it quite as much as the first half, in a funny yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree it, with you there. It, it didn't have the same punch, and it wasn't as instantaneously exciting or thrilling um it was a bit more subtle actually wasn't it it was it was and i think it was a slow burner certainly i think i've certainly thought about that half the, the first half was the big hollywood blockbuster type bang in your yeah. face and you could digest it very quickly and the second half was as you say it was a slow burning subtle uh, more of a mini arc wasn't it yes absolutely you think about a lot more and um i absolutely adored the end of it i mean it it, it was nice. It was a nice little lull in a funny way up, up into a, well, I say a lull. The only reason we say it's a lull is because of Nightmare in Silver, I think. But um, it certainly ended with a, a real bang and a real peak. I mean, I, pro probably uh, Stephen Moffat's greatest series climax, I think. I think it was amazing. Really? I think so. Oh, wow. Mm. I, I, think, I thought it was very, I don't want to use the word underwhelming. Because it wasn't underwhelming, but it, I thought the name of the Doctor had a lot less pizzazz than the Big Bang or the Wedding of River Song did. I think it worked as a kind of mm. um, a spectacular sort of one-off hit 
but I don't know if going back, because I don't think I've watched it many times since it broadcast. I'm not sure it would be quite so impressive watching it maybe second or third time round. I don't know. Maybe mm. that's just me being a grumpy so-and-so. <laughs> and uh, Well, I'll freely admit that Name of the Doctor was certainly, it rides on the coattails of the 50th, and it was a perfect mm. introduction to it. And that's probably why I've, I hold it in such high esteem. So, I mean, some lovely yeah. moments in there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there's a yeah. Looking back on it, I'll probably look at it and think it isn't isn't quite the hitter that the Wedding of River Song was. But um, you know, uh, those previous climaxes, it was all big guns and what have you. And this, as you say, was far more subtle and worked on an emotional level. I thought far on a far greater emotional level, rather than being all flashbang wallop. It was um, hmm. it, it played on your emotions as a as somebody who's invested in the characters. I think it was. What, sorry, carry on. Go on, you you carry on. I think what Seven B did for me was to really cement what I'd been hoping was that Clara was going to be this really interesting companion, and as much as I warmed to Amy Pond towards the end, uh, I think she works, in my opinion, much better with Matt Smith than uh, than Amy's character did. Yeah, I really like Clara. I don't really, I've never really got the amount of sort of negativity towards her, really. Mm. People think she's underwritten, but I don't think she's underwritten. I just think the two sort of other iterations of her that came along first had the whole story told in a single episode. Mm -hmm. So the third iteration obviously seems less focused by yeah, comparison. I suppose the problem with having this idea of her being killed off a couple of times before is that people come to it with preconceived ideas of what the character is going to be like before you get yeah, introduced yeah. to her. But no, I thought she was great. And of course the other thing is, a lot of people have said this about Stephen Moffat's companions, that they all have to be special in some way. Hmm. But the point with Amy and the point with Clara is neither of them actually are special, but something special happens to them. Uh, insofar as with Amy, it was the monsters used her past as a way of getting at the Doctor. But that wasn't to do with her, that was to do with the monsters. So it wasn't that she was special, it was that the monsters singled her out. And similarly similarly with Clara, it's like the mystery that surrounded her Mm. wasn't to do with her and what she was, I suppose but the it's fact down to a moment of girl. bravery from her, wasn't it? <laughs> Rather than her yes, being but that this... came later. Yeah, the mystery came first before the moment mm. of bravery. Yeah, and I don't think you'd have had the moment of bravery without the mystery. It's one of those circular paradoxes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's see what Lee's got to say on the subject. Uh, if I can find the right button, I can't find the right button. <laughs> we might get a word from Lee later. Then, oh, hang on, here it is. <laughs> Yeah, thanks it's for that, Much Lee. more succinct than usual. It's his usual witty, intelligent self. Um, So, highlight of Series 7B? Name of the Doctor or one of the other episodes? Personally, oh, Name blimey. of the Doctor. Um, I'm going to be obvious like that. Name of the Doctor. It was definitely a highlight. Yeah. Mm. I really thoroughly enjoyed Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, though. I can't deny it. I'm a sucker for that episode. I think Hyde for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's another subtle one, though. Mm. Again, I don't know. There's something about me that likes the pizzazz and Journey to the Center of the Tardis was the episode with oh, the pizzazz. That, yeah. Mm. But yeah, all three very good episodes. Mm. 
And oh, as a whole... And the miracle of Mark Gatiss doing an amazing episode. <laughs> yeah. I know. I didn't want to bring that up because, uh, yeah. But yes. <laughs> it was. It was a he, brilliant episode. Even Lee agrees with that. <laughs> he seems slightly dismissive, if I'm honest. <laughs> well, he's just obviously a big Mark Gatiss fan. Uh, Simon, mm. personal highlight of 2013? There have been so many. It's been Think the carefully weirdest... before you answer. I know. It's got well... to be a personal Doctor Who highlight oh. of 2013. Well, even given, so. Given the, well, you know... Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm talking really personal as a fan, uh, on a, okay, on a personal level, watching the 50th anniversary episode at midnight after my wedding absolutely went to plan. Nearly didn't happen oh, yeah. because uh, Kai, who was hosting the event... Um, forgot to record it no he recorded it on the sky plus but um it didn't occur to him that a phone line would need to be connected wherever the box was so he moved the box to where we were going to watch it and it wouldn't work without a phone line connected so oh. um so backup plan he went wow, on to his playstation riot i know he, and he found it on iplayer so we ended up watching on iplayer at midnight off his playstation so that that was there was ah. that personal side but as a per, as a personal thing for a doctor who fan the moment i found um, I'd, I'd nearly say Night of the Doctor, but no, I think finding the clip of Enemy of the World on YouTube, the beach scene, was, for me, the most thrilling, exciting, uh, adrenaline-inducing moment for me as a fan. I just thought it was a window into the past that I'd never thought I'd see, and it was so much better than I could ever imagine it was going to be. I absolutely it was just charming. And the quality was of it was great, and oh, it was just brilliant. It was just an absolute gem of a Patrick Trout moment—the sort of thing you kind of hoped existed, and and it absolutely did. That that for me was in a in a second was just a brilliant, brilliant moment because it was unexpected and hit me square between the eyes. Should we go for another email then? Yeah, yeah, go on. Then. Okay, hello, Poro, Doc, whom or the Great Intelligence, Doc, whom. Okay, Doc Holmes says, Gentlemen, I think that JR may have a point about Terry Nation's intended pronunciation of Scaro being Scaro to convey the idea of fear. After all, Terence Dix does something similar in The Time Warrior, where he has the Doctor say to Sarah, If you mean I am a native of the planet Terror, the answer is no, I'm not. The fact that he doesn't say the planet Earth surely indicates that he was hoping to convey the fear associated with the word terror. <laughs> Regarding the idea of the master becoming a woman, did you hear this last week, Simon? I don't suppose you did. Mm, I'll go through it again in a yeah, minute. Yeah, go on. Regarding the idea of the master becoming a woman, wouldn't she have to be renamed the mistress? Ooh. I know people speculate about Stephen Moffat having a predilection for dominant women, but really, <laughs> I can't see the Doctor going round saying... Yes, mistress, and no mistress. Ta-ra, Chucks, and have a Laura Laura laughs. Doc Whom, a.k.a. etc., <laughs> etc. Et yeah. That was quite a light mm. one for him, wasn't it? Oh, but nevertheless. Yeah. No, no, I mean, he usually tears a strip off one of us in a very nice way. Me? Yeah. Usually, I think he yeah. was. I think he was trying to, anyway. Yeah. It wasn't um, just the words was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was the whole point, really, wasn't it? <laughs> well, we, um, we, well, see, I was kicking myself after we finished the podcast because I remember that the Wurzels did a song called I Hate JR. 
Hey. Yeah, the Wurzels uh, did a song called I Hate JR. Did they? Look it up on YouTube, guys. JR. It would be on it. Well, Lee found that funny. <laughs> they, they, there is a B-side to it called We Love JR as well, so... Is that actually on YouTube or is it that is just on, on David Adams' Facebook feed? <laughs> no, it really is on YouTube. Really? Yeah. Is that because they were around at the time of the whole Dallas I Shot JR thing? It's possible. Oh, well, that's not very nice, is I'd it? Like, I'd like to think it's about JR Southall, but I think it is about the bloke from Dallas. JR Ewing? Yeah, sadly. Shall we tell Simon about the whole Master is a Woman thing? Well, Go did on you discuss this online, though? Didn't I read something about this? Oh, maybe I did. I put something up, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I know where you're you're heading for it. So, I was just going to add to that as well. You know, uh, actually, I've seen pictures now, and it doesn't look like she's playing the master at all. So obviously, I was wrong. Well, my other option was the Great Intelligence. I wondered if actually the Great Intelligence arc continues, and she is, you know, the next Richard E. Grant. But that's not necessarily true either, of course. So whatever. Mm, but you know uh, this okay two more things about that because obviously this episode is in part a preview of Christmas not that we're really going to preview Christmas but whatever but this is the last time we'll be together before Christmas no tears guys <laughs> <laughs> they might be after Christmas yeah they probably will be mm, not because household. of Doctor Who no yeah exactly <clears throat> oh do you want to discuss your news then Mark well, uh, the next time we hear from you, yeah. you will be a man. Simon, well, yeah. what uh, will you be? I'll be a dad. Hey, so that's congratulations to you hmm. on mm. being about to become a dad, and congratulations to Simon on getting married. I know we're all growing up so fast. <laughs> uh, well, I don't have anything to be congratulated on. But if I have to do the Christmas review entirely by myself, so I'm sitting alone in this room with nobody hey, at the other end of hey, Skype. I know what to congratulate the... I know exactly what to congratulate you on. Oh, go on. I've just seen on the news. Are you gonna get a ten percent wage rise? What? On the news, post office workers are getting a ten percent page rise, as far as I'm aware. Really? Yeah, the unions have agreed, across, or something. Yeah. Across across how many years? <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine 10% of whatever is 10%, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but that's probably 10% across like five years or something, which comes to 2% a year. Eh? That's cheating. Can't please some people, can you, yeah. Simon? No, you we're can't. Not getting... Wage rise is a wage rise, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, right. Yeah, but we're not getting 10% like now. Well, no... <laughs> Would have been handy for Christmas, but, you know. Would have been, yeah. Yeah, but we won't see a penny of it till afterwards because it's got to be ratified. That ten percent could pay for your John Hurt figure. Well, I should hope it'll pay for slightly more than that. <laughs> Are we now? Maybe. And maybe next, uh, later in this Amazon episode. Well. Later on in this episode of the Communication Workers Podcast. <laughs> Hi, Sucky. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've all we've all drifted off again. Um, look, a couple of other things about the Christmas special. Apparently, Stephen Moffat's going to address the 13 Lives thing by having Matt Smith as the final final incarnation of the 13, as mentioned in The Deadly Assassin. Mm. Mm. Well, people have said this has come a bit out of the blue, but then if you look at the way the series has sort of kept talking about, and then we've actually also visited 
Trenzalore and the final resting place of the Doctor, it's not as if it really has come out of the blue. It's kind of been heading this way. Yeah. It's just not been said outright. Mm-hmm. It just it, the whole thing seems to be an exercise to deconstruct and then reconstruct mm. the Doctor Who universe, yeah. isn't it? Really, it's. I saw a tweet earlier from Carl Anderson from the Nerdist, and he said, um, "For my two penneth of what it's worth on the whole." how many regenerations debate that people are getting so wound up about. I don't really give a... And then you can insert your own preference of word. Oh, yeah, but what he's, what he's missed out on there is, okay, so the 13 lives thing doesn't matter, mm. but seeing as you've been given it as a potential dramatic alleyway to go down, why would you not use it? Well, I have no doubts that... Mr. Moffat will come up with a a really interesting way of resetting it or explaining it or what have you. Well, everybody was expecting um, Peter Capaldi to be the 13th, so Mm. you kind of have a whole incarnation of the Doctor where you're constantly wondering, you know, if I trip up here and bang Mm. my head, am I going to not regenerate? I think that would have been cool, just for a series. Well, yeah, but also at the same time, if you think about it objectively that could also be a way to really handicap your character if you were to keep it going for a whole series or two series or however long Peter Capaldi stays. If Peter Capaldi stayed for three years and you had to address that in every episode, you'd be mighty cheesed off with it by the end of it. (laughs) Now, maybe for like, well, obviously it sounds like this time round they're going to go for a full season rather than splitting it in half, but if you had it Mm. like half a season where it was like a little mini arc that played out, I think that could have been a way of getting a bit of drama out of it. Yeah, but my point is kind of, they have been addressing it, but succinctly. Hmm. And we haven't noticed, and now it's going to come to a head, and now you're going to get the drama. And then after the Christmas episode, it's a whole new birth. You know, between the Christmas, between the day of the Doctor and the time of the Doctor, it's a whole new rebirth for the series, isn't it? Hmm. And I wonder again, I've said this before, I wonder again then if Stephen Moffat's actually already left the programme. Because it just seems to me that he's done everything he needed to do. You know, with the show, he's given it a new beginning. And it just seems like the perfect time to hand over to somebody else. Just as Matt Smith's handing over to somebody else. It does seem a bit weird to hire a new actor to play the lead character when... You're already several years into a stint. Um, yeah, it does seem a bit strange. The timing of it, because Moffat, you know, has been in the job for quite a while now, and a lot of writers tend to move on because they want a, a different challenge or they might feel they're getting stale or what have you. But I don't know. It just seems the timing. It's great, great for Matt to go out on a high. There was a potential for Matt Smith to stay for another year, though, wasn't there? Didn't I read? I don't know. Is that a rumour? Mm, I know you usually get these know. stories, but I'm just thinking was mm. maybe... There was a potential for David Tennant to stay another year, but yeah. it didn't happen. No. You know, it's always down to the actor to go when they go, but it just strikes me this is the perfect time for a whole new... And were you trying to say that Stephen Moffat's cast Peter Capaldi and that's a bit weird? Because we only have Stephen Moffat's word that he casts Peter mm. Capaldi. I mean, yeah. if somebody else is taking over that somebody else would have been in place for quite a while mm. and that somebody else would have had, you know, final say on whether it was Peter Capaldi or not. Mm. So it's not like Stephen Moffat said, right, here's my present to you, do with him what you will. A bit like Barry well, Letts did with I was going to say, it with John Baker. Yeah, yeah. And 
And if you were going to be left with an actor to play the Doctor... It's I not a bad of, choice. Yeah, I can think of far worse choices. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> we Jimmy Cranky. Do you know what, though? And this is my final other point about, not the Christmas special, but about what might happen afterwards. Because potentially, Stephen Moffat could say, right, here's a whole new beginning for the show, and I'm going to stay another two or three years because I've got another arc I want to tell. And maybe that would be the Gallifrey arc. Mm. But you know what struck me as an interesting idea? And this is not speculation as to what I think he'll do, because I seriously don't think he'll do this. But, you know, I've been saying that I could imagine Stephen Moffat sort of taking Matt Smith's Doctor out of the equation altogether by leaving him in some kind of a a sort of time loop or something at the end. Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't it be an interesting arc... Not necessarily an arc, but sort of a two or three story kind of mini arc. If at some point during his first or second or third season or whatever, whenever, the next Doctor became aware of the fact that there was a Doctor that he couldn't remember being. And do you know how I said a couple of weeks ago or so about this whole Gallifrey thing, I can imagine it being a case of, you know, you'll get an episode where a character will turn up and say, hey, I know where Gallifrey is, but he'll get killed before he gets a chance to tell the Doctor. Mm -hmm, And it'll be like a missed opportunity and a big sort of emotional moment. Now imagine if, similar situation, the Doctor bumps into a character and the Doctor's been aware of this nagging doubt about this incarnation that he can't remember, not because he's deliberately forgotten, like he has with John Hurt, and we know how Stephen Moffat likes to reuse and embellish some of his ideas, but a Doctor that he couldn't remember being. And this character comes along and says to him, yes, you were once, you know, the Chinny Doctor, or whatever. (laughs) And so the Twelfth Doctor, or whatever you're going to call him, Peter Capaldi's Doctor, goes in search of the Chinny Doctor, and maybe it would be a mid-season point, or maybe it would be the end of the season, but he frees him from the time loop. So you get a brief Two Doctors episode with Peter Capaldi and Matt Smith before Peter Capaldi moves on and we carry on with his story. Is this your way of uh, trying to tell us that you're taking over from Stephen Moffat? (laughs) I should definitely definitely be in charge of Doctor Who. What do you think, Lee? (laughs) (laughs) He agrees. Mm. Nice that even though Lee's at the airport, he still managed to turn up for the episode, isn't he? Yeah, good lad. Mm. Speaking of Peter Capaldi, you know, the second of our four talking points is the fact that Matt Smith's left and Peter Capaldi's come on board. Mm. Um, you know, remembering back to that night when we all find found out, I mean, we all kind of knew before, but, you know, none of us were quite certain. Do you remember how exciting that night was? Obviously not, so we'll <laughs> move on. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. Yeah, uh, we we kind of heard rumours prior to the announcement, but we, you're never really sure until you see him step out onto the stage. But no, I was absolutely thrilled when I found out, and um, it's been a bit weird this year because normally when you get someone taken over, like when Matt took over, you had that sort of build up to him becoming the Doctor, so you got all this anticipation, and then you kind of gradually start ramping it up. And because of, obviously this year has been the anniversary year. Um, it's kind of not gone under the radar, but it's it's the been a much more low key elsewhere. Thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's been concentrating on something else. So actually, mm. now the fact that we're only a couple of weeks away as we record this, mm. and even less when you're listening to it from the regeneration, yeah. it's kind of popped up out of nowhere. Mm. Mm. 
Except, of course, for the fact that you had that tiny little two seconds worth of Peter Capaldi in the anniversary special. Mm. Yeah, that was a punch-the-air moment for me. It was. It was it, um, Basically, Stephen Moffat had done exactly what we wanted him to do, which mm. was to bring the Doctor in before he actually came in. And it's a, it's a first, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. Mm. Great. You know, I've been saying, I was saying this for years, wasn't I? That mm. I, was, <clears throat> I thought Stephen Moffat would try and do something like this in a far more ostentatious style. Mm. But I still did say years ago that Stephen, well, maybe not years ago, months ago, whatever, a long time ago, Stephen Moffat would be the one who would show the next Doctor before, you know, it was the next Doctor's time to arrive. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm bigging myself up because he's not done anything <laughs> like he's not done it, anything like I suggested he probably would. Mm. But nevertheless, you know, it's been one of those things that I've always known that Stephen Moffat would want to do something. There like was that. always a, a small part of me when the next, next Doctor came out that wanted the next Doctor to be David Morrissey. Yeah, yeah, and and that, that was the, that was kind of the exciting thing about it, and that was why it was kind of a letdown because your own imagination mm. was doing more interesting things than the program itself. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I think that's a bit of a, you know, I loved Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who. And I still, you know, I'm not saying I don't still. I did love Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who, but it never went for the jugular when it could have, did it? No. Not really. Didn't test the I audience mean, like it could have. No, Journey's End was another case in point. You know, you had that regeneration cliffhanger. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And then you get there next week and it's like, oh, right, it's still David Tennant. Okay. Carry on. Mm. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you've been counting the absolutes, Mark, but we had one then. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, significant mm. moment from the year? Well, Simon's rather craftily nipped in and mentioned the, the missing episodes, and that has got to be the standout moment. Um, I think for a while I'd kind of not given up all hope, but it didn't seem particularly likely that anything was going to crop up and to have that amazing announcement and to know we that we were going to get never, those stories back we never thought we'd have complete stories mm. ever again did we yeah so you know, that, far, go on i mean that was it just came out of the blue it was amazing brilliant you know the day when they announced underwater menace and airlock mm-hmm and I was on Twitter that after. I had no idea, no inkling that that was coming whatsoever. Mm. And I just happened to be, and I'm not a big Twitterer. I, you know, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not, uh, you know, I log on maybe once a day to yeah. see if anything's in my timeline or if anybody's sent me a message or anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, hardly ever anybody has. So I just kind of tend to navigate away again. And, uh, you know, I'll only use it if I've got something particular to say or whatever, but. But I just happened to be there on that day when uh, Airlock and the Underwater Menace were about to be announced. And I must have called it just about half an hour before they were. And so for half an hour, or however long it was, Hmm. when you didn't know what the episodes were, but you were suddenly aware that there was going to be something. Because we didn't have that with the Web of Fit and the Enemy of the World. We kind of already pretty much knew by the time the actual announcement came. Yeah. But for the Underwater Menace and Airlock, that was just shockingly exciting. Mm. And that was for two episodes. (laughs) You know, for two more or less complete stories. Mm. Good God, that was insane. Brilliant and insane. 
Now that's that was definitely my the high point Doctor Who wise for me. I I don't think you could top that. And to think that I don't know whether the word probably is the right word to use. Probably or definitely or maybe or possibly or absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Mm. Um but the fact that there may be more to come, may very well be more to come. Let's is, hope. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, most people seem to think there will be more. I don't think anybody doubts that the chances are there's likely to be more. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And so, I mean, for me, it's been an almost constant state of excitement about what might happen next. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying I wake up in the morning and I've got the shakes or anything <laughs> like that and I go to bed at night in a cold sweat. But you know what I mean? Ever since, you know, ever since weeks or even months prior to the announcement, mm. when you kind of became aware that this was one rumour that actually had a bit of substance, mm. ever since then, it's been, a, you know, you can't go through a day without it somewhere in the back of your mind. There might be another complete story sometime soon yeah yeah it's 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 a very i can't describe the feeling that as as a long-term fan growing up and and reading doctor who magazine and and seeing pictures and reading the stories uh that have have been missing for all these years you 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 just get into this mindset where you think well yeah that's part of the missing episodes so the series is a certain size then all of a sudden everything's changed I mean, it was bad. Yeah. It, it was it, it, from one extreme is that you know people were saying that a hundred odd episodes had, had resurfaced, and you thought that would be just the weirdest thing if all of a sudden we had a full series again. Um, but even even to the to level where, like you say, now there's the possibility of even more stories that I don't think I don't think any of us really conceived that that they would ever turn up again. I think we. Not so much given up hope, but it had just kind of gone off the radar, and it's yeah. it's just a very very odd thing, and and quite uh, is the word sublime? I'm not sure. It's it's just for having a series that's so close to your heart. It's it's almost like obviously it's not the same, but it's like suddenly finding out you've got another sibling. It's very very mm. odd. Like you've all of a sudden you've got this person or these things that you didn't know existed suddenly existing again, and and it's well the map amazing. of old. The map of old Doctor Who yeah. has moved its borders. Yes. Mm. You know, it's a kind of thing that we'd kind of got used to not having. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, in the last 20, 25 years since Tomb of the Sidemen, what have we really had? An episode of The Crusade, an episode of The Daleks' Master Plan, and then those two episodes together, which mm. was only two years ago. Yeah. And that seems like all the time in the world mm. ago now. Mm, mm. And to know that the next one, hopefully, will probably be, you know, significantly less time since the last one, mm. is just, you know, I think I said on the last podcast we did on this subject, we're now living in a world where the sort of next complete story that will be found is like maybe sometime in the near future rather than 25 years ago. Yeah. And that's just, that's redefined the landscape of what Black and White Doctor Who is but not only that, is, but the ones that they recently found weren't just a, f- a couple of stories. I mean, as you say about those two episodes that uh, that surfaced before, no pun intended on the Underwater Menace, um, 
<laughs> they weren't any shining examples of old Doctor Who, but by any means. But these two, Web of Fear and Anime of the World, were absolute shining examples of brilliant Doctor Who. And, well, there were and, two yeah. of, there were two of the ones that were most sought after, mm. really, mm. by any sort of, uh, you know, the, I know, on Enemy of the World is kind of, was kind of glossed over a bit until people saw it, and then they were like, oh wow. But I think if you'd actually sat somebody down and said, right, think about what episodes you'd like, what stories you'd like to get back, the two Troutons in Enemy of the World must have pushed it up the lists. Mm, mm. Surely, if people actually thought about what they might actually get. And all that location stuff in episode one as well, always been at the top of my mm. list. Mm. And I think it's that moment of having had the announcement, <clears throat> then downloading it, waiting for the mm. download to finish and clicking play and seeing those titles come up. And it still yeah. seemed unreal even then. But yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, an absolute highlight. Well, I always said it wouldn't seem real till I had it on DVD. Mm. And of course, now the DVD's out and I've got it on DVD. But I've not actually watched it yet because it's not been enough time. And it still doesn't seem real because I haven't stuck it in the machine and watched <laughs> it yet. <laughs> but there you go. Really good um, discussion on the last Radio Free Scarrow, by the way. Mm. The, what was it called, uh, Mark, that episode? Do you remember? Oh, something about the Canadian something or other thing. Wheat fields or That's something. That's the one. Yeah, look at if you haven't listened to or don't listen to Radio Free Scarrow. Yeah, there's, like there's anyone out there that doesn't listen to Radio Free Scarrow. Well, there probably are. There probably are. But there's a really good discussion on the Missing Episodes panel. Mm. On uh, Is somebody whistling? Yeah, that was me. You didn't say <laughs> if there's somebody out there who doesn't listen to it, so I started whistling. Oh, okay. That's me trying to look inconspicuously conspicuous. Oh, I see. It doesn't really kind of work when there's no uh, visuals <laughs> to go yeah. with the sound. <laughs> um, but you should listen to it then. That's mm. definitely a recommendation. Okay. The yep. Missing Episodes panel from the Chicago, Chicago TARDIS convention, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. And that's a very interesting listen indeed. Um, <clears throat> so, should we go to another email? Go yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, we've got Great Intelligence or Hollow Poro. In fact, think... I wanna, I'm going to say Great Intelligence because I'd like to well, save the Hollow Poro one. I was just going to say that. Because actually he brings something up that I'd like to save till later because mm. it's about the Christmas special. Okay. So I think we ought to finish with that on mm. the subject of the Christmas special. So the Great Intelligence says, oh, he's got a question for us to answer on the podcast. <clears throat> oh, this is going to be interesting. Mm. He says, can someone explain to me from a story point of view why the Doctors 1 to 8 found themselves surrounding Gallifrey at the end? If this is supposed to be prefigured in the sonic screwdriver incident earlier in the story, then I'm a bit perplexed. Surely only Smith could have been thinking about how to save Gallifrey rather than Hartnell. Am I missing something? P.S. I loved the sequence, of course. He's just <laughs> he's just a little dubious about how it fits in with the continuity. And that's a very fair point, because mm. it's a brilliant sequence, mm. but it doesn't make any... Well, <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense unless you watch the name of the Doctor after you watch the day of the Doctor. Yeah. Did you see... You probably didn't notice this, but you know the bit in 
the um, name of the Doctor, hmm. where Clara goes back and tells the first Doctor to take the TARDIS that she's yeah. standing by and said, do you not notice she's got a sonic screwdriver in her hand in the first shot when she says, take this TARDIS? And then you get the reverse angle back to William Hartnell. And then when you go back to the angle on her, she's not got the sonic screwdriver in her hand anymore. She's obviously tossed it into that TARDIS before mm. she tells him to take it. Have you noticed that? If you go no. back and look... Really? If you go back and look, that's a genuine fact that I've just made up. It's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, It's just one of those, that, something that's not on screen. I just assumed that if they can do timey-wimey stuff, then all they've got to do is send a message back to their previous incarnations to be at a certain place at a certain time. This is what they need to do. And then they probably did that Gallifrey and Time Lord mind bend thing that it. they've done. Yeah. That's it, and it's all explained away by this business that when the timelines go back into sync, that they forget these things. Yeah. Well, anyway, I've, I've oh, learned this year. I mean, if you <clears throat> feel the need, go back and listen to our review of Cold War. I think I've learned this year just to perhaps not be quite so analytical in the way that I watch the program and not nitpick and just go with it and enjoy it. You do realise you're on a review programme though, don't you, Mark? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say earlier, I'm, I'll never make a critic because I'm, I'm aware that I might upset Andrew Cartmel now for what I said earlier. But Don't worry, I've already sent him back to some of our previous podcasts. Oh, is he? He did oh, mention oh, Delta and the Bannerman, Simon. Did he? <laughs> yeah. We talked about it quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, on purpose. Well, I did promise a great intelligence that I would come up with some random and rather daft explanation for that. And I do you think I was successful? Uh, ish. Since I made it up on the spot, yeah. I had no idea till I read the email out what <laughs> I was going to say. Let's see what Lee has to say about that. I think he liked it. Yeah, he always mm. says that. People probably listening to this are getting rather tired of me doing that now. Mm. But I'd like to make sure that Lee's got a presence throughout the entire podcast, so I'm not going to apologise for it. He did an incredible job as my best man, by the way. <laughs> he did, I have to say. I have to say, he was brilliant. Do you mean an incredibly good job, or just a job that people could afterwards describe as incredible? <laughs> incredibly good job. He really did. He did very well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess we're flying through this, aren't we? That doesn't matter. It's our Christmas party podcast. It doesn't matter if it's a relatively short one. Maybe for once we will keep to our 60-minute limit. No, it's not bad. Yeah, like it's, better be, it's good to be concise, considering we, we're going over old ground, quite literally, aren't we? We are, we are. But, uh, you know, it's the time of year to do that kind of thing. I suppose our next talking point... Oh, I should say what my, um, what my highlight of the year was. Hmm. And this is entirely self-serving, but I don't care. <laughs> it was, it'd been my ambition for several years, ever since I first had the idea for the You and Who book, to do a volume which went through every story in the series, mm -hmm. and it came out in the spring. And so I couldn't have been happier. You know, I was absolutely chuffed about that. And it's been a brilliant year, and everything that's happened in it has been brilliant. But to actually also, you know, achieve a personal ambition was... Like the icing and the cake, really. Mm. Getting a mention from Frank Skinner on the radio. <clears throat> yeah, that too, that too. 
Uh, but the book's out of print now, so it's not that self-serving because I can't exactly recommend people go off and buy a copy. Ah, no, but it's collectible now. exchanging hands, yeah. Yes. How much well, is it worth, Simon? <laughs> just a couple of quid less than it was when it was brand new. Hey, my copy, oh, mind you, my copy of Volume 2 is worth more now because it's got my Saul Metstein autograph in it, so that's cool. He doesn't write in Volume 2, though, so basically that is just a squiggle <laughs> on the page. <laughs> that's <laughs> oh, great it's great um no it was that, it's, tell it's you what really though quite an achievement though isn't it i mean it's well it's quite um, a year for milk all round wasn't it really yeah they don't have a bad just you and who? the jnt books script doctor yeah. and loads of other good stuff mm. and let's let's not forget as well jay that you've taken a lot of us along for the ride you know, I'm not. I'm not having a. I'm not I've taken a, you along for a ride. You know, you've taken a lot of us <laughs> along for a ride. There's quite a few of us and a lot of people listening to this podcast who actually had input into that book, and mm. I think it it made made the year very special for everyone. So, you know, there you go. There's a bit of bro love to you. Jesus, Aww. I wasn't expecting that. Wow. Mm. I'm reaching for the Kleenex JR. again. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you can use guys. it to varnish your ego a bit more. That's fine. It's fine. Oh, like my ego needs any varnishing. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? <laughs> I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> Just off the top my ego. Yeah. Uh, as long as there's no photographs of me on Facebook varnishing my ego. I'm sure David Adams could come up with something. <laughs> oh my God, I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> no. Um, our, fourth, our fourth talking point of the year is of course do i need to introduce it the five-ish doctors and an adventure in space and time and i know there was something else neither uh, night of the doctor and oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the day uh, oh before, the, the after show it? party oh for crying out loud just the anniversary weekend oh yeah 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 mm. you know, it was a bit good wasn't it yeah, we've not really had time, I don't suppose, to put it into perspective, but it was pretty damn good. After all the sort of, the sort of, not anticipation, but the anticipation of it being a disappointment. Not for and Simon. It... <laughs> well, he, was, no. he was anticipating that weekend being a very good weekend. Yes. And it turned out to be just that way. <laughs> it was. Okay, it but was. back on the subject of Doctor Who, people were expecting that that weekend to be something of a disappointment. Being as it was, you know, essentially the culmination of what ought to have been, in some people's uh, opinion, a whole series of Doctor Who. And all we had instead was just that one weekend. You know, people were saying we should have had a whole series worth in the autumn. And all we had was that one weekend, one episode of Doctor Who, one mini-episode, one non-episode featuring some old Doctors, and an episode of docudrama. And yet, uh, did it? Did anybody get disappointed by that? I thought it, they balanced it just right. I mean, I know there were people complaining early doors uh, this year, saying, well, we need to have something constantly through the year, and they need to keep on really pushing the anniversary but i think if they've done that all year i would have just i would have topped myself by the end of it i think i think fans yeah we did have stuff all through the year but Mm. not on the telly no books and cds and all sorts of stuff yeah and you know 
all sorts of paraphernalia, toys and merchandise, and all kinds of things like this. There wasn't a week went by without some new product coming out. Mm. Charity fanzines. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It was all there. It was mm. all bubbling away in the background. And if you're a fan, it, it was non-stop throughout the entire year. Mm. It was never not something to talk about all year, you know, in regards to Doctor Who. And then you didn't end up sort of, you know, offending the sensibilities of the general public mm. by having it on telly so much yeah. that by the time the anniversary rolled around, they were cheesed off with it. It was Well, I saw a few people who aren't fans online complaining about the frequency of the adverts for the 50th anniversary. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But that was just year, in the last been... week, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, people I know on you know various places on the internet have said, mm. oh my God, not more Doctor Who. But I'm thinking, you know, that's just one day. Mm. Or, you know, I, four days or whatever it was. I was going to say, I think you've only got to ask yourself one question. Was it special? And yes, yes. it was yeah. very, very special. And and I think, I, I find it very hard to think of about anyone else being in command of Doctor Who, other than Stephen Moffat, to have done it to that extent and done it to that integrity. Mm. He's the perfect guy to have been in charge of Doctor Who over the anniversary, I think. Yeah, yeah. Of Of the contenders. And, you know... Two more things on the subject. I think, you know, because I do tend to, after I've written my reviews, go and find out what other people think. Mm -hmm. And less people uh, were disappointed by the specific episode, The Day of the Doctor, than any other episode, you know, in my recent Mm -hmm. memory. Mm -hmm. They've always, every episode has always had some people that like it, some people that don't, some people that love it, some people that hate it, whatever. But there were far fewer people that disliked Day of the Doctor than any other episode, I think, since it came back, pretty much. And they were far more forgiving. I mean, I saw somebody mm. say, oh, there were a few plot holes, but I forgave that. Yeah. But I, yeah. Did, I think it had a holes? lot of goodwill. Were there plot holes? Were there plot holes? Yeah. If you really want plot to pick, holes. We've talked yeah. about one. How did the 13 Doctors come together? Mm. It was never explained. No, so it okay. was technically Assumed, a plot hole. Yes. Things like that. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I think you... At the end of the the story, you've got what amounts to a really good setup for the end of Matt Smith's run. You've got, in my opinion, David Tennant's Doctor being rehabilitated after the not-quite-so-special specials. And you've got an absolutely stonking guest appearance from Mr. Hurt. Absolutely right. And do you know what? Talking about Stephen Moffat and how perfect he is for this... There have been all these people who've been saying, oh, but what about the exploding targets? What about, oh, silence will fall? He doesn't know what he's doing. He's making it up as he goes along. Take a look at Day of the Doctor and watch him retroactively correcting Mm. somebody else's continuity (laughs) and tell me he hasn't planned to address silence will fall and the exploding target. Not in a really clunky, exposition-y way, but in a really cool way. In a really clever, subtle way, yeah. For sad nerds like us, we can just revel (laughs) in it. And for people who aren't really that into it, it's not so in your face that you have to understand every last bit Mm. of what's gone on. Mm. This guy knows what he's doing. Mm. You know, there's a reason it says, I don't know exactly what it says, but it says something like Christmas is coming, silence will fall Mm. on the trailers, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. He knows where this story's been going. You know, the entire 11th Doctor era has been one story. Name of the Doctor was a chapter. 
It wasn't a complete story. It was a mm. chapter. And that's what's been so great about the Stephen Moffat era. You know, in my opinion, I've really enjoyed the fact that all the guest writers have come in and do episodes that stand completely alone. And then Stephen Moffat's done, what, 25% of the episodes, maybe 33% at a push. Mm-hmm. And they've been chapters in an ongoing story. And I've absolutely loved that. It's the best of all worlds because mm. you get the single stories and you get the longer story. And whereas with Russell T. Davis, and it's not, you know, it sounds like a bit like I'm complaining about Russell T. Davis. I'm not complaining about Russell T. Davis, just pointing out the differences. With Russell T. Davis, his story arc was basically sticking a word in an episode and then explaining what the <laughs> word meant at the end of the series. <laughs> Stephen Moffat's actually told a story mm. through his episodes. Yeah. And I can't wait to find out how it finishes, mm. frankly. And I think, I think there's been a far greater texture to the whole Matt Smith era, hasn't it? It's it's just um, oh, it's just got flavour and it's just got this all these lovely lines yeah. flowing through it. Um, and, and yes, because the Russell T Davies era did feel rather samey quite a lot, which wasn't a problem if you were enjoying it as I was. Yeah, but you know, you could after that first series, you could pretty much predict what you were going to get every week. Mm-hmm. There aren't many. And Matt that's Smith... not the case anymore, is it? If if you imagine you had to sacrifice some episodes, I think you could pick quite a few in David Tennant's era where you could say, yeah, well, we could live without that. We can live without that. Mm. Because I think there's been lovely, mm, gritty, meaty bits in, in so many of the of the Moffat era. That, uh, in fact, yes. I think even something that I didn't like, like Nightmare in Silver, mm. sort of probably towers... Head and shoulders above, I don't know, to pick a random example, the Cybermen stories in series two. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, to stick with the sort of Cybermen theme. Yeah. You know, in terms of... I did actually really enjoy those, but you know what I mean? It's like... It's Neil Gaiman. And even <laughs> Neil Gaiman firing blanks is still Neil Gaiman taking shots. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing it now. So, absolutely. I know, but... <laughs> yeah. So, looking back over 2013, though, is there, I don't know, I'm not looking for a specific moment anymore, but there is a specific, is there a particular thought or memory that you take out of it, or a, is there a way you can sum it up, what it's been like? Yes. Has it been a good anniversary year? I, I've said this on Facebook, and it's been, I think other pe- a lot of other people have agreed, I've said there's never been a better time to be a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. And that is a fact. And we even had Paul McGann. We yeah. did. We did. Yeah, yeah. So somebody's been listening. Somebody has been listening. It does feel like Stephen Moffat's been listening. What did everyone want? And he gave it. Gave, gave us everything we wanted. Yes, mm. he didn't give us a multi. He did give us a multi-doctor story. Yes, all the doctors yeah, weren't did. in it, but you know, he's like a oh. grumpy Scottish oh, father. Christmas. Yes, they were. They were all in it. Yeah, of course they were. I mean, they were in it as much as was feasible, mm, yeah, given yeah. the logistics of reality. But they were all there. Mm. I thought that was a wonderful way to end the episode. Frankly, I, having seen the way the episode ended, you can't actually go back and think it could have happened any other way. Mm-hmm. Should we have the one more email then and wish everybody a Merry Christmas and get out of here? Yeah, I'm bracing myself for this one. Hollow Poro. Mm. 
the reverend. He says, <laughs> yeah, he says, revs up. Now then, you lot. I see amongst the Polaroid snapshots that the Beeb have released to promote the Christmas special that they are featuring a wooden Cyberman in the episode. Is this, in fact, a hidden tribute to Adric that not only <laughs> celebrates... <laughs> That not only celebrates the very creatures that caused his demise, mm. but also the acting style of Matthew Pixie Step Waterhouse. <laughs> Pixie Step. <laughs> oh, lovely. How oh, dare well. you take Adric's name in vain? Do you know what? I answered him back. I said, I don't think the cyber, the wooden Cyberman is there, you know, as a tribute to Matthew Waterhouse. I think Stephen Moffat's done even more retconning. I think he's gone back to the end of Earthshock, had the Cybermen rescue Adric from the oh crashing spaceship, God. and that wooden Cyberman is Adric. Oof. Well, anyway, if it starts mincing around in an unconvincing way, we'll definitely know. It's got a gold star on the front. Mm. Well, a gold badge of some sort, mm. anyway. Have you seen it, the picture? No. Once well, you see the, the picture. I've seen the head, but I haven't seen the full, oh. the full body shot. Mm. When you see the full You're thing... You're making it up again, aren't you? No, it's got a gold badge on the front. No. That's Photoshop, isn't it? For the joke. I know, the Photoshop was turned the circle into a star for the joke. Oh, sorry, right. Sorry. But yeah, it's got... <laughs> well, unless, unless that gold... No, I'm pretty sure it's got a gold thing on the front. Yeah. Anyway, Holoporo says... I could be wrong. We'll probably find out in a week or so I'll be wrong. Holoporo... No, that was me. Uh, Hollow Poro says, Ah, oh, well, must be off to look at some pictures of Jenna Coleman and hopefully celebrate my own wooden performance. You <laughs> know what I mean? I'm with you there, Reverend. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. So is Lee. <laughs> what do you think, Lee? Uh, what does Lee think of it? Anyway, a very Merry Christmas to all of you at Bone. Your ever lovingly, Hollow Poro. Uh, nice one. Yeah. Uh, that's it. What a character. Brilliant. Uh, so, I think we should clink our glasses together. Yeah. Does anybody I... get anything to clink? Oh, uh, can on. I just say something? No. Why? Save it till next time you're on the podcast in about three weeks. Why is that? Let's clink our glasses first. Okay. Ah, there you go. There's a bit of a clink from me. Managed it. Okay, Simon. Something you want to say? Yeah, um, I won't go into detail. I'm just going to read out a web address, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash 1212 Docs of Christmas forward slash. Why don't you just tell people to look up 12 Doctors of Christmas on Facebook rather than read out a load of stuff that they're never going to so type into why a wouldn't they? Engine. Why wouldn't they? It sounds more cryptic. These are Doctor Who fans we're talking about. They look for the devil in the detail. Um, okay. And By the time this podcast goes out, though, it won't be a secret anymore. Won't it? Well, it's not a secret. Well, it's not really a secret now, is it? Yeah, well, you might as well just say Why what it is. Why don't you just then? sell it, Simon? Go on. Go oh, on. 12 Doctors of Christmas, 12 stories, lots of artwork, lots of brilliant writing. J.R. Salville's even written one. I've no idea who he is. <laughs> Which Doctor is... You should point out there's a short story... Hmm. All kind of interconnected for each of the Doctors with a Christmas theme. Yes. It's all for charity. Well, yeah, I mean, it's free. It is free, but we suggest well, yeah. we would like, if anyone wants to say, oh, thank you for spending all of this time putting this book together, because it's all in PDF format at the moment. We may do a printed copy at no profit, but at the moment it's a free download 
starting from the 13th of December, um, running up to Christmas, but at the end they'll all be available anyway. And uh, the idea being, if you like it and you want to say thank you, all we ask is that you give a donation to the National Autistic Society. And if you go to the Facebook group, there will be a link there to the Just Giving page. So look up 12 Doctors of Christmas on Facebook. Yeah. Or find one of us, and no doubt somewhere in our profile there will be a link. Yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas to all of you at home. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, you guys, you're supposed to join in and wish yeah. the listener a Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Not... Have a good one. Oh, that's better. I thought you were being a pair of grumpy old sods then for a minute. Well, no. we are, but we still join in. We're both exhausted. Yeah. No. Um, And I suppose that's it. So, I was JR. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And that was Lee. And we'll speak again soon. But you know what we didn't do? Mention anything about the theme music competition. We've had zero entries. Oh. Mm. Well, you did have Postman Pat and... And uh, what was the other one? Yeah, I'm a combine harvester. Musicians are lazy, second only to artists. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. So, Simon, does that mean you're double lazy? Yeah. Yeah, full of excuses. (laughs) Andrew would probably say... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, actually, <laughs> yes. It's not true. It's not true. Mm. I was going to. I suddenly realised, and one thing, a point I was going to make during the podcast is the next series is going to be autumn, isn't it? So does that mean that yeah. the Christmas special is going to be smack in the middle of the autumn series, or will it finish? Possibly. No, he said. Uh, Stephen Moffat said that. The next, apparently, Stephen Moffat said that the next series will run continuously. Hmm. And somebody suggested culminating in the Christmas special. And if you look at it, if they're starting to film in January, they'll presumably film for nine months, which is the hmm. general standard. Yeah. So if they don't finish filming till like the end of September, then basically, yeah. Yeah. They'll finish filming in the end of September. Yeah. And the series will run perhaps from October through to middle of December, take a week off and then have the Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. So the Christmas episode will essentially sort of form a double finale. There'll be a series finale and then a Christmas episode immediately afterwards. This is just my guess. Yeah, yeah. But that's what it looks like to me because I don't see how they can start any earlier than October if they're not going to split it. Yeah, yeah. Possibly just about maybe get away with starting in September, but even then, you're talking about having the last episode middle of November. Well, they might leave it a couple of weeks just to give you a bit of a chance to have a bit of a build up to the Christmas special rather than having it exactly the following week, I guess. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is Christmas Day next year is going to be what, Thursday? Mm. So if you finish on the Saturday before the Saturday before Christmas, you've got just about a fortnight in between 12 days or something. And you're kind of carrying the momentum. Yeah. Mm. Because I think that's... Because I I get the impression from just the bits and pieces 
is that the intention is to carry the momentum into the Christmas special. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I just don't see any other way it can work. Mm. So that's kind of what I'm expecting, if indeed all the things that people have been saying about it are true. Mm. 